from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. So, Ihsan Higgins here with the Legal Hour, and uh, yeah, it's the. It's one of those days again where you once sits alone in the, the studio and uh, yeah, you miss the Susilaseti Gesellighet or you know of having guests in studio and uh, doing the program. So tonight we've got a packed program again. I mean also COVID and lockdown related. So just to quickly uh, go through the, the, the lineup for this evening between now and 11 o'clock is uh, the first uh, uh, guest that we're going to have tonight is uh, Shafiq Mort. Uh, uh, the, the presenter on radio. I mean, everybody knows Shafiq. I think he's even on the line already. Assalamualaikum, Shafiq. Welcome, Salam. Ihsan, how are you doing this evening? Uh, yeah, alhamdulillah. Uh, I'm just down the road, so don't feel so lonely. I uh, know, it's fine. Shukran for that. And uh, just want to go, go through quickly, you know, the other guest that's going to be online tonight. Um, I've got, I'm going to have uh, advocate. Now, Shafiq is going to be talking about the social implications of COVID-19 and the lockdown. Then we're going to have uh, Advocate Aslam Bava. He is from uh, Johanna from Gauteng. He is going to talk about the limitations on movement during lockdown. Then we have an attorney from Polokwani in Pretoria, Attorney Sadia Ghani, and she's going to talk about um, the right to dignity uh, of people living in informal settlements. And then we're going to have Attorney Mochalo Stevens, who's going to talk about the legal implications of an arrest for breaching lockdown rules. We've heard about lots of people being arrested. So now that we're going to talk about, you know, what happens after the arrest and the long-term implications of that. And then we got Attorney Nazir Parker, who's going to give us an update of the cigarette uh, issue, the cigarette chronicles, just giving us a little update on that. But coming to Shafiq, who's already online, uh, Shafiq, um, I was talking to you earlier this morning about uh, you know everybody suddenly bec- becoming an expert at all these things. You know, we see p- on social media people having debates and talks, and you know people say various things. And when people say things on social media and uh, it goes viral then people think that that person who has made the statement is actually the representative of a certain sector of the community. And of course, you know, one you know, cringes sometimes when one hears what people are saying out there. So I just want to hear it from you. I mean, you are an author, you are a social commentator, you are a presenter on, on, on Voice of the Cape and, of course, various other um, mediums of, of communication. So I want to hear it from you, Shafiq, you know, in terms of what, what is your take, you know, of the social implications, you know, pertaining to this lockdown and COVID-19. Yeah, in fact, Ihsan, you, you've touched a nerve there in terms of social media and, and fake news. Um, it, it's funny, uh, I've been a media practitioner for 40 years, and I got quite accustomed to Mufti Google and Molina Yahoo uh, <laughs> telling, me, telling me what to do. Mm. And all of a sudden, there was a Professor WhatsApp yeah, of that course. popped up, and mm. somebody who had read something for five minutes and put it on social media 
suddenly became an expert about something that I've been doing for 40 years, and that's verifying whether things are, are, are true or not, with, especially with uh, the COVID-19 story. And yes. excellent, to give an indication of what it's been like for us, um, after two weeks of the, of the lockdown, um, Argence France Press, AFP, had debunked 200 stories already. Sure. And in my case, every single day since the lockdown, as a journalist, I've been putting out fires of, of conspiracy theorists. Mm. And to me, it's a sad thing. Um, I'm almost beginning to ask myself, because a lot of these conspiracy theories are supported by people within our community, and I'm almost beginning to ask myself, What's wrong with these people's iman? And it's a very strong statement to make because we are supposed to express a measure of sabr. Um, we are supposed to use our akul, our intellect, mm. in this whole equation, but we just don't seem to be doing it. It's always convenient to, to Bill Gates, you know, who's become the devil. Uh, pro uh, Professor uh, um, uh, Salim has also now become an agent of I don't know what. Yeah, I saw um, that, yes. We've got uh, 5G towers uh, suddenly causing um, coronavirus, which is absolute nonsense, and so on and so on. So that, media-wise, has been a huge challenge. Mm. I mean, the honest truth is that we don't know very much about COVID-19 now. The scientists are still trying to find out exactly what's going on. We have to give them the space to, to do their work. And in the meantime, as, as citizens and as Muslims in particular, we have to do our best. And sometimes that means uh, uh, listening to government. And also, by the way, Ihsan, um, our government, by the way, has acted magnificently in terms of being a developed nation. Um, our response, and this is feedback that I've got from people uh, internationally, people are admiring what we've done. In fact, President Cyril Ramaphosa given the leadership that he has, has actually brought us back a lot of the moral high ground that we had during the times of Madiba. Mm. And people don't realize this is the impact of what our government has done. Look, there have been mistakes, and we will make mistakes. But just in terms of what they've done in terms of the limited facilities, the fact that the um, state capturists had, had stolen most of the fiscus, mm. we've actually done extremely well. I mean... At least we prepared, at least we're trying to prepare. United States, Brazil, United Kingdom, Spain, Italy, um, and so many other countries just didn't mm. even prepare. They weren't bothered mm. and have reaped a very, very, very bitter um, harvest. And I mean, in fact, today I was talking to Yasser Louti in Paris about how angry the people in France are at, at the nothing that their government did in terms of COVID-19. Mm. So South Africans, generally speaking, I know I'm rambling on a bit, um, compared to other countries, have been pretty much law-abiding, have been very gracious, and they've also been very generous because our government in 100 years is never going to be able to feed everybody. And I think the, the best thing about our Muslim community, um, the, 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 the fake news is the bad side, the good side is the overwhelming generosity of our community. I mean, 55 million rand given out in direct charity and sadaqah mm. after two weeks of the lockdown is an absolutely amazing thing that our community has done. And I think what we have to do is, Ihsan, we have to own our narrative now. We have to tell the world 
not from a matter of pride, but this is who we are, this is what we're doing, and as Muslims, we have the power to change things. Uh, uh, Shafiq, is it, I mean, maybe we, we, we are not that kind by saying that uh, a lot of the, the fake news does not emanate from the Muslim community. It's really, I think, people that read things, and because they don't read a lot, so they read what, what they see on WhatsApp and they start believing uh, things. And then, of course, they just start forwarding messages, you know, as if, you know, this is, they're the first to now reveal this, uh, this yeah. revelation. Wow. So, I, I mean, if, if one reads some of these fake news, you know, one could actually, we can't, you, I can't actually see how it can emanate from our community. If you listen to what, the, if you read uh, the language, the language use, the, the way they use language, it's, it's professional people out there that's doing these things. It's mischievous people. Yeah. But I mean, in my, my, my initial comment, the sad thing is that I'm disappointed that people in our community are buying this, this, this garbage. Um, you know, we've got all the tools to be able to deal with these things, and we should just take a step back and just be careful and and rely upon um, people who've been working in the media who can sift out and find out whether what that is authentic or not. Mm. I mean, how many times didn't we see this week that, you know, the president is going to make an announcement about cigarettes, which was fake news. I mean, but if, the way that that particular document was crafted, it, it was very well done. I mean, one could almost like think it's, it, it, came, it really came from a government source. So I yeah, yeah, you know, so, sorry, listen, I, I sometimes think that there are some very mischievous people in South Africa when it comes to these kind of things who want to see us fail. Mm. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it's probably members of, threatened members of the white community, some of the dinosaurs um, who take great pride in, in black people falling over mm. when it's black people that's carried them for the last 25 years. Yeah. So, Shafiq, just moving on from fake news, I mean, in terms of lockdown, I mean, the first uh, phase of lockdown, which we didn't even know that it was called uh, uh, Level 5, we didn't even know we were in Level 5, I mean, we only discovered we were in Level 5 when we got to Level 4. So, at least with Level 5, you had the first three weeks of certainty, and then, of course, you know, it, it, it carried on for another two weeks, but that was also certain. So now we're in a level four that is completely uncertain. It's like, how long is a piece of string? In, in your opinion, what, where are we at in, in respect of level four? Um, I think we have to look at this regionally. Um, in the Western Cape, if, if one goes just according to the numbers, um, we're not in a very good space at the moment. Um, it's only my theory, and I'm not a medical person. I'm beginning to wonder... I'm speculating mm -hmm. whether in, in the Western Cape, whether we're reaching the peak of the curve before everybody else. Inshallah, I hope that is the case. Mm. Um, I mean, in Kimberley, Northern Cape, there's, there's very little. And, and I think what might happen in the future is that, that there might be a more regional approach to, to the COVID-19. So if you're in the middle of the Karoo, uh, a lockdown doesn't mean anything to you because you all you got with you as sheep and bushes that mm. so does, doesn't make much sense so I, I think that a lot of the subtleties have to be fleshed out um, 
how far can a person go when they want to exercise, for example? It sounds really stupid, but people need clarity on these things. Mm. And the other issue is that, uh, and the president has spoken about that, um, the children have to go back to school. Uh, it, and the reason I'm saying this is because what I'm starting to pick up is that um, the children are starting to become extremely stressed, uh, are starting to show um, a lot of psychological symptoms they need to be able to socialize again obviously under the new rules but our kids have to get back into the schools we have to try and get things back to a new normal not the old normal but a mm. new normal where we understand the concept of social distancing but where we can carry on with our lives so people can get back to work and uh, put food on the table in a dignified fashion yeah i'm a bit concerned at the moment that I mean, in that first few weeks, uh, people had a little bit of, of something. Now they've got a lot of absolutely nothing. And now you're sitting with people that, are, that genuinely don't have food in the house. They genuinely don't have any not a single cent. They've also exhausted their capacity to get loans by whoever was prepared to give them any form of loans. The 350 rand that government has now said, you know, that, that's not going to last them even a day. If, 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 it, if one look at the price of food and things like that. So, yeah, it's a bit worrying. And, of course, something needs to give very, very soon. Yeah, in fact, you know, on, on that, um, the, the, the charity that our community is giving and that other communities are giving, those, those, that charity, that sadaka, I feel... It's going to have to be a permanent arrangement. I mean, Ihsan, can we, in, in all good conscience, we walk away from the people that we've been feeding? And I know you've also been active in feeding people, the people under the bridge, for example. Can we now walk away from them yeah. when, when we're going to level three? I don't think we can. And I think this is, is the new world of the new South Africa where people now have to have value, um, not the dollar, not the economy. The world, the new world has to be about people. It has to be about brotherhood and mm. us genuinely caring about each other. That's the only way we're going to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'll give an example, Peter uh, Shafiq, that um, there's one household in Woodstock. I, uh, we, we stumbled on it. And there was actually four dwellings at the back of that house mm. with four families and not a single one of them were working. I mean, they didn't work prior to lockdown. So, of course, there was no way of getting any form of money, whether it was begging, whether it was whatever, car, washing cars or car guarding, whatever. So now, it's almost now two months that nothing has been happening. And if it's not for the charity of the community, you know, feeding those people, they would, they would literally die from hunger. That's your reality. That's and this that's is in town. This is like in, 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 in Woodstock. It's not even... Right, yes. So, so, this, so you're absolutely correct. Um, something needs to give and needs to give very, very soon before we, we can have a, a catastrophe that is even more, uh, um, more real than COVID. And that is people dying of hunger. Yeah, you see, see Ehsan, one, one um, unintended consequence of the lockdown is that um, I'm going to use the word scuttle. Yes, yeah, scuttle uh, is the right word. <laughs> Their survival was mobility. Mm. You can go to the corner, 
you get five five rand from that butcher, you get one rand from that person. Maybe you get ten rand from the day. It, it, for some people, it's nothing, but for that person, it's half a loaf of bread. That is survival. And mm. denying movement to the poorest of the poor, um, even if they're unemployed, is just denied them uh, the scuttleplek, as it were. They can't go out and they can't find things. Yes. And I think that for them has been the, has been the disaster of it. I mean, their work or their, their, their pastime is looking for food. But when you can't go out and look for food, then you're going to have problems. Mm. Shafiq, so yeah, so we, we're sitting now in a situation where everybody's hoping something is going to give in the next few days. Um, yeah, so I think people must just watch this space. And of course, social commentators like yourself, you know, you've given people, you know, a lot of information. And we're hoping that information is still you know, going to come continuously. And uh, of course, in addition to that, uh, also a kind of a, a lobbying function, you know, knowing what's happening out there as an activist, as a, as, as a journalist, and of course, somehow getting to the ears of the decision makers. Because yeah, I mean, they, they need to listen to us because we're on the ground. Yeah. And the other thing quickly, Ihsan, is that the lockdown in COVID-19 in South Africa and in, in the rest of the world has exposed brutally the the rich poor divides and it's done it in South Africa in a dramatic fashion and um, our, our powers that be need to listen and they also need to prosecute the city councillors who are stealing food that's meant to go to the poor Oh yes, I, I cannot understand why they're not in jail already. Well, in South Africa, you know, it's very difficult to jail these people for some reason. Uh, we've seen so many examples. <laughs> but Shafiq, on the on the other one, on the economy opening up, what is your what's your thoughts on that? Well, um, it, you know, it's it's not going to be the same old economy as it was before, and this is where I, I really uh, sweat bullets, as they say. Um, we have to be creative. And I'm saying that with not really having many of the answers. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that if we look after each other as human beings, good things can happen in terms of us being able to empower each other. I mean, if you um, ensure that somebody is not hungry, it allows them to be creative, it allows them to think, it allows them to move on. And I think that we just have to go step by step but I, I don't think that the, the war, I mean, capitalism has failed. And I think most people realize that neo, neoliberalism has failed. Mm. What the new model is going to be, Wallahualam, God knows best. But um, as Muslims, we have the models, the Waqaf model, mm. the model, model of Al-Qaf. The whole Islamic civilization ran on Waqaf, so much so that um, there were no municipal rates of taxes because... Water was a wakaf. Um, the energy supply was a wakaf. There was a wakaf for, for food supplies for the poor. There were even wakaf to feed the, the, the pets in the streets. Uh, there was a wakaf for the man who read the Quran. But if we have created that model, inshallah, you know, we can really make a big difference. And it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I mean, nobody's going to be driving Ferraris. Mm. Well, that's not a bad thing uh, if, if no, nobody's driving because I mean, driving Ferraris at this day and age, it's just somehow crass. It's like some, there's something wrong with that whole mindset. 
It's an uh, insult to the poor. It's an insult to the poor, yes. So, but coming back to, to the economy issue. Now, I mean, we've seen now, like, you know, the, the shop rights and the pick and pays and the woods and all those places. They they allowed to trade since day one. Since, but now the problem is, most of the small businesses, especially the flea markets, people on flea markets, people in small home industries, these people have not been, they haven't been working. I mean, what must give to get? Those are the people who should be going back to work. First. Yes, yes, because and they're the ones that are driving the machinery. Absolutely, and and I can't understand. You can open a flea market. It's very easy to have social distancing at a flea market. It just means that you can't have as many stalls as you had before. And we have to trust people. So the flea marketeers, leave it to them to work out how to resolve it because they are intelligent people that can do it. I'm just using an example. Mm. Um, the home businesses, uh, which, are, um, you know, I mean, most of our middle class and lower suburbs, there are lots of home businesses. The one garage is a guy doing silences. The other guy can do your ties. The other titty is baking bread. That kind of stuff needs to be encouraged because the era of big corporations has gone. Mm. They did. It's now the small business, the small person who's got the best chance of economic survival but they have to be given opportunities to trade. And but I've also like noticed now. I mean, with this, with with the entire crisis, a lot of people that's being prevented from actually uh, trading, or like for instance, the builders. I mean, the builders are still at home, and I've seen a whole lot of builders. They've now gone and they're selling masks and they're selling ventilators, not ventilators, um, thermometers. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's encouraging because that's that tells you that that's the type of people they, uh, no matter what, they will survive. They will look at uh, a situation and say, okay, in this limited economy, this is the only thing that I, I can do at this point in time. So I'm hoping a lot more entrepreneurs will come out of the situation um, instead of people just depending on the boss to pay them. As you say, capitalism has, is a failed is a failed mode of production. Absolutely. In fact, some economic people are talking about, they're using a phrase, forced entrepreneurship. Economists always are good at fancy terms, but uh, forced entrepreneurship is basically called necessity. Mm. So, yeah, so I think um, we we obviously, as as the radio station, and I mean, that's why I wanted you on tonight, uh, Shafiq, just to give a little bit of a preface in terms of the difficulties out there and of course uh, you know we, we've still survived no matter what and I mean as I say it is a question of something needs to give and very soon so that you know the people can go out and go earn a living and of course still be uh, socially responsible in terms of uh, you know taking all the precautions but uh, I can't see people staying at home for the next month or two and, and, and you know, without chaos erupting. Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, Yaxan, it's starting to affect people psychologically. It's, it's not fair. Human beings, we be social beings. Obviously, there, there's a new game in town called COVID-19. But um, I think if people could just move around a bit responsibly, um, everybody will feel a lot better and a lot more confident and reassured that they can get on with their lives. Mm. Dejavik, thank you, Shukran, very much for giving us all this input. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a bit strange probably for people to hear that you're on that side of the mic. 
But uh, yeah, in uh, in strange times, t- strange things happen. <laughs> Indeed, that's certainly true. <laughs> okay, shukran, salam alaikum. Afan, walaikum salam. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. Um, I've got, um, I just had Shafiq Morton on the line to give us a little bit of an overview as to where we are at with this uh, pandemic and the lockdown. So now I have with me online uh, none other than Advocate Aslam Pava. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. How are you, son? Alhamdulillah. And how's things out there in Gauteng? They're all going well in the north. <laughs> okay, are you guys working up there? Uh, we're trying to, yeah, we're working quite hard. I think uh, the lawyers are one of the fortunate ones, you know, that has got a bit of a, of a, of, yeah, let's say, they, they got the, the luck of having to work with some people are just waiting to go work still. Yeah, you know, we can we can do work by remote, you know, um, yeah. online, so it's, it's, it's um, yeah, I know that when I spoke to you earlier on, you told me you were busy with an online uh, thing with the judge. Yes, we were in court. Yeah, we were actually doing um, a case uh, on video. Okay, so, and how did that go? It went very well. All the papers in, you know, in Gauteng are electronic now. So they're mm. trying to get all the papers in court electronic. And so you... And, and I'm going to be a bit facetious now. So are you required to call the judge, my lord, uh, when you speak to him? You have to, son, and you have to robe. Oh, but you robe as well? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I didn't experience uh, appearing in front of anybody at this uh, this lockdown period. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a nice experience. Um, it's something new. You know, we're going to have to get used to this new new way of doing things. Um, I, I read something interesting the other day where uh, it said that, you know, the, the neighbor was listening to the lawyer, um, you know, they obviously didn't know what he was doing, but he was speaking about to the Lord. And he yeah. was asking, yes, my Lord, no, my Lord. And he thought the guy was praying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, but we often do, son, in court, we often pray. <laughs> mm. Yeah, because you don't know which way that's going to swing at yeah. the end of the day. But Advocate uh, Pava, the, I just want to check with you. This limitation on movement during lockdown, it's, it's becoming problematic because people don't understand it. Some yes. people think you can, you can still move from province to province. Some people think if you move um, your, um, your furniture or you're moving house, then you can move from province to province. Can you give us a little bit of clarification? Okay. So what's, what's happening is that it is a bit confusing, and then you can ex- excuse people for being confused, uh, because there is lots of regulations that have come out. So mm. what happened is when they uh, eased the restrictions from uh, COVID level 4 or 5 to level 4, they came out with a new set of regulations, and that was promulgated by the minister uh, in terms of uh, the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs on the 29th of April um, mm. and that came into operation on the 1st of May when when COVID level 14 came into operation mm. and so what what they try to work out is that 
people couldn't move between provinces at that time and people were stuck at, at, at their places. So they gave a special dispensation. But that special dispensation for movement between provinces was from the 1st to the 7th of May. So that period has passed. Okay. Now, if you want to move between provinces, you have to apply for a permit. Okay. And who and, gives that permit? And that permit generally comes from a magistrate. You have to go and apply. And um, it's actually governed by uh, Regulation 16. And I'll just go to Regulation 16, and, and it will tell you that uh, the special dispensation was Regulation 16, sub 5. And it says any person who was not at the place of residence at that stage uh, or work before the lockdown period and who could not travel between the provinces was given that special dispensation, right? Mm-hmm. On the, but that was on a once-off basis. But now Regulation 16.4 says movement between provinces, metropolitan areas, and districts is prohibited except for workers who have permits to perform essential services. So you, the person who's performing an essential service and wants to move requires such a permit. And this is where you get it from the magistrate. Uh, so even if somebody's selling masks and he moves from Cape Town to PE yeah. that, and he's got a permit that is essential services, if he wants to go to PE, he must still have a uh, permit from a magistrate. He must. He must. He must have a permit because that uh, that is uh, you know his right to travel. Uh, now it's it's not uh, uh, you know the. Um, the dispensation or the relaxation that they granted from the 1st to the 7th of May. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you mustn't confuse this with the issue of moving house uh, and moving into a new lease premises. That's under separate. Yeah, this is employment. So let's let's stick to employment yes. for now. We, we, what I want to get to, to the other part uh, of, of, yes. of moving house. Yeah, so th- this is, uh, if you want to attend a funeral in a different province, um, uh, which is allowed, you know, there's a maximum of 50 people at a funeral, you and, and certain categories of people, you know, the the um, you have to show how you're related to the person. So you have to go to the magistrate, and the magistrate has to inquire from you and get all the information to see if you're a person who qualifies to move. So, you know, it's not just for everybody. Like you say, a person, for example, who's selling masks, and it's an essential service. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else can say, okay, I'm selling masks. So they will have to produce some sort of proof to the magistrate, and he'll have to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, okay. uh, yeah. So, for example, going to funerals as well, you have to show what's uh, you know what if you're related family-wise, work-wise, you've got to show the work. Um, so th- those are definitely you definitely now need. Okay, a so definitely you need to you you can't just decide. Okay, I'm getting in my car because that dispensation is gone now. First seventh of. Of May, it's finished. Now yeah. you need a, a magistrate to confirm that you need to travel or whatever it is. So you'll probably have to do an affidavit. You have to do an affidavit. You have to receive the permit and you have to keep the permit with you while mm-hmm. traveling. Okay. Now let's talk about the other part. You know, I believe people up to can still move house within the province. Is that correct? Yes. So if you need to move to another uh, location with your furniture, you're allowed to do it. There is a, there is a window period for that. Right. But now there's, there's two prerequisites to this. 
Um, so that is, if you bought a new home before the lockdown, mm-hmm. that means, yeah, so it must have been before the lockdown. So if you're caught up in the situation, you've now bought a new house before the lockdown, but the lockdown came and it stopped you. Mm-hmm. And you can't move into this new house. Now you will be allowed to move. Okay? okay. Or if you entered into a new lease agreement. Okay? So say you were going to move into uh, a, a new premises. You were going to lease a new premises. And before the lockdown, you entered into this new lease. What do you do now? You would now be allowed to travel across metropolitan, provincial, or district boundaries. But you will still need a permit. Okay. You will still have to apply for this permit, but it will most pro- it will be given to you easier. Because and you must just basically provide either the lease or the or the deed was well the, the yes. And, documentation. Yes. And another thing, another thing, Hassan, is that not only must you provide the um, the lease or the uh, deed of transfer, but you must keep it with you with your permit when you're tra- when you're traveling so when you're going and you're moving into new house or your, um, you know, your new rented house or your new purchased house you must actually have the documents with you but that is only within the province what about outside of the province so outside of the province you can apply for the permit so it's, it's outside the province or or within okay so 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 people can actually apply outside of outside of the yeah. province but that's in the discretion of of the magistrate in a knowing, there's an important thing that people have to uh, note as well, is that when you when you apply for this permit and you're moving, the movers who are moving your your furniture and all the items, they have to strictly comply with the COVID regulations. Mm, okay. So that is a very important because people tend to forget. They just think about, okay, I'm moving and my family. Uh, uh, sorry, and that's the additional portion. Is that when you go to the magistrate, don't forget anybody. Don't forget your small child that's going with you. Mm. Uh, you need to put every person's name down who is traveling and who is going into this new residence. Okay. So a whole lot of stuff, you know, if you went, because lots of people obviously worried about, you know, my new lease and I signed the lease and, oh, I need to get out somewhere and move in somewhere else. So yes. of course, uh, but also, also there's a window period. Yes, this one ends in the, on the seventh of June. Gosh. So it's from the seventh of May to the seventh of June. Uh, Aslam, it almost sounds now that when you say it's up till that date, it almost sounds like there's going to be another extension after that date. If, if uh, one reads we, it. We don't but, know but then again, we think but, like lawyers. Uh, let's not think like yeah, lawyers. But, yeah. but rather, rather don't take the chance. Yeah, no, um, no, no, that's what I'm saying. Let, let's rather not think like, like lawyers when it comes to this type of thing because it's a moving target. Every day things are different. So, no, absolutely correct. Aslam, shukran very much for your time. I mean, I know it's way past your bedtime. I know in Gauteng they sleep a bit uh, earlier. They go to bed after they shy. In Cape yes. Town, people go to bed a bit later. And yes, uh, even no. though it's lockdown and it's Ramadan. But anyway, uh, uh, we, we wish you a very, very good rest of the Ramadan. And, Thank uh, you, son. And, and shukran for, for, for always agreeing to come on to the Voice of the Cape. Anytime. It's nice talking to you, sir. Okay. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins.
And we're back with Illegal Hour, and we have our third guest on the line, uh, attorney Sadia Ghani. Assalamu alaikum, Sadia. Walaikum salam, Ihsan. How are you? And salam alaikum to all the listeners out there. Uh, shukran for joining us tonight here in Cape Town. Uh, you are currently in Pretoria. That's right. Lockdown uh, in Pretoria. That's right. <laughs> okay, shame, man. Uh, we also got lockdown here, in case you don't <laughs> okay, know. Okay, that's okay. good. <laughs> I think it's a national so a phenomenon at this at, mm. at this stage, but time will tell. So, so Sada, you've done quite extensive uh, work and research pertaining to the right to dignity and adequate housing for those people living in informal settlements and how this COVID-19 lockdown has affected people living in these informal settlements. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Okay, Sam, just to uh, paint the picture, we, I'd like to start with a quote from one of our local Ketonian uh, poets, uh, Shabir Banubas. He says, we should try not to indulge so much in the good we find in adversity that it causes us to gloss over the devastation it brings to those trapped in terrifying poverty. Mm, now, okay. in the light of this uh, quote, I'd like to just paint a little picture for the, uh, for the listen- listeners. Obviously, we all know the situation in informal settlements, but it's sometimes important to step into their shoes and to understand exactly how uh, the lockdown has affected them. Uh, look, if we look at the statistics from 2017, we know that South Africa is close to 2,700 informal settlements. How much? How many? 2,700, but this is stats from 2017, so the amount has obviously, so it's obviously increased. increased quite significantly. Absolutely, so, yes. So and I can is, safely say it's more than 3,000 at this point in time. Yes, uh, I mean, we could, we could definitely say that safely. Okay. Okay. okay, and then obviously this means that we've got 1.2 million vulnerable households. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason why we start with these figures is despite the stark reality, our government, uh, with all due respect, has passed, I mean, obviously it's an emergency situation, they've passed the Disaster Management Act and its regulations to deal with the COVID crisis. And in terms of Section 11, it restricts the movement of, uh, of persons for the period of the national lockdown to their place of residence. Now, this, this, we need to unpack this because this provision enforced a blanket restriction of movement confining all South African citizens to their residences, despite the stark, deeply unequal societies that we, that we have in our, in, our, in our presence. Now, it's a common fact that residence, quote-unquote, is not the same reality for all South Africans. If we look at our informal settlements, they're a far cry from our normal residences, and they actually constitute a complicated network of compressed living. By this I mean... Okay, compressed you know, living, in other words, lots of people living in the same unit. Yes, yes same unit, and obviously on top of one another, absolutely densified uh, setup. Okay. So if we look at the picture, uh, we have a thin, uh, a thin structure, and uh, that's, uh, you know, we have up to four to five people living in the structure, using it for bathing, um, you know, for living, for cooking, for cleaning, for sleeping. And what's the average size of that particular unit? I think it would be two by four square uh, centimeters, if I'm not mistaken. So you're looking at about, what, two by four is eight square? No, that sounds a bit small, eh? That's eight square oh, okay, meters. look, that's a small one. Maybe we're looking at maybe, say, about 16 then square meters. Okay, so so it's like a slightly smaller than one of those uh, those RDP houses, which is about forty square meters. 
So, yeah, no, but it's much smaller than the RDP houses because I just happened to obviously step into one of these settlements just before the lockdowns. And it's actually very, very compressed. You know, it's basically you go in there and you can't wait to get out once you're in that little, uh, you know, tin shack. And if you look at it, uh, there's no personal facilities. You don't have your usual toilets and washing facilities. And uh, if, if you need to access these, these have to be done communally. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, this means that by necessity, people need to leave the shack or yard several times a day for fetching water, using toilets. And they're going to inevitably queue with others and touch common surfaces when accessing, uh, accessing these water and sanitation facilities. If we look at some settlements in Cape Town, just to give you some figures, up to 40 families uh, are sharing a, a single toilet. And, you know, uh, I was just looking at some activist, uh, um, you know, statements. Uh, the Justice Coalition has said that using a toilet in an informal settlement is probably one of the most dangerous activities for residents, in particular women and children, more so at night. Now, these prevailing problems of sanitation and hygiene not only serve to add to the infringement of dignity of these people during the lockdown, because firstly, they have this complex form of living, then they've got this water and sanitation problem, and added to that, if you look at the very nature of an corrugated iron, iron structure, it transmits the outside temperature into the shack. So mm. whether it's heat or cold, this can result in extreme discomfort for those that are confined to such spaces. Mm. Now, speaking, uh, you know, if we look at internationally, there's been an audit done in terms of the United Nations Habitat Report. And they've looked at informal settlements worldwide and concluded that community lockdowns in informal settlements Attempting to enforce social distancing, hand-washing, etc. is virtually impossible in informal settlements. Now, unfortunately, our government has been, uh, you know, uh, put in a situation where it looked for a situation, and unfortunately, that is the situation that it has, has enforced on our people. Mandating households to stay indoors where there's no individual outdoor space or yard so, 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 uh, minimal. Let me just get this straight. So where did that information uh, emanate from, that, that it's impossible for people to, to, to be there? I mean, obviously there's been a study. Is it is an yes, international study? Yes, there's been a study done by the United Nations Habitat, which is basically a human settlement uh, branch of the United Nations, which which does a lot of research on uh, human settlements and poverty. So, so what are you saying that we obviously did not comply with that particular directive of this uh, United Nations entity? Look, we haven't complied with it because the solution that we found has been a solution uh, that chose to, to enforce a national lockdown to all of its citizens, including the informal settlements, even though the picture that I painted earlier for you clearly shows you that it's, it's, it's virtually impossible. But unfortunately, it's, it's part of the package that government has parceled in terms of the Disaster Management Act, and it's something that we've already we've accepted as citizens, and now the... the, the, the Okay. The um, impetus is to move forward and see what we can do. Okay, first idea. Uh, yes. We're just going to have to break quickly for the news, but I would like you to stay online so that after the news, then we can continue this conversation. Is it okay? Thanks, Okay, shukran. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. I've got, still got Fadia and Sadia Gani on the line from uh, Polokwani, and she's speaking from Pretoria right now. 
And Sadia, can you continue with where you left off? I'm sorry that we interrupted you with the news. No problem at all, Alexan. I think mm-hmm. we stopped where we were trying to paint a picture of how the lockdown has resulted in an infringement of dignity for people living in informal settlements. Mm-hmm. We painted the picture where you have a, a, a stay indoors, where there is no individual outdoor space, minimal indoor space, poor indoor quality, limited food storage, shared water and sanitation. All these factors have made lockdown not only impractical, but outright dangerous for people in informal settlements and has resulted in a definite infringement of their right to dignity. Mm-hmm. And so what do we do about the civil society? Look, uh, a civil society, as we know, apart from the infringement of dignity, these people have now faced a hunger uh, epidemic in the midst of the corona epidemic because in the, in the absence of being able to source food on a daily basis, they've now been forced into unemployment and poverty. And that, again, has inflicted on their right to dignity. A civil society, as Shafi Martin has said in his interview, people have shown an extreme sense of generosity and have come out to assist these people, whether it be individuals, uh, people from civil society, NGOs, and government itself. Everyone has had to work together to solve this extreme hunger crisis and uh, epidemic that has unfolded. Mm. And, and, and actually, uh, no, uh, Ifan, you were going to ask something? No, I was going to think that, you know what, it's one thing to have identified the, the problem, but now, of course, what's the solution? I mean, you have other sectors of the, of the community who had issues with the, with the lockdown regulations and ran to court. I mean, we've had uh, Zahir Umar go, going to court on the on the mosque issue. We've had um, the tobacco companies up in arms, you know, about it. So here you are outlining and identifying a a, a genuine uh, situation, you know, that's affecting more than three thousand informal settlements throughout the country, which is which amounts to you said one point two million. I would probably put that number at a lot higher than than that at this point in time. Just based on the fact that your your stats was based on twenty seventeen. I mean it's three yes, years no, later. The number is definitely greater and then obviously we need to take in, into account all the refugees in uh, you know, all the migrants all these people that are here both legally and illegally in South Africa that are undocumented but that have the, the, the daily need to be fed and, and looked after in terms of the fact that they fall within the umbrella of our society. So, 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 so coming to the question and uh, about, you know, what to do. I mean, surely there is uh, civil society entities and, and legal NGOs that, uh, that's, that, that's dealing on a, on a daily basis with people from informal settlements. I mean, where are they in this whole thing? You know, the situation calls for an immediate uh, action on behalf of all sectors of society, government, etc. We've had governments uh, taking various steps, and then we've had the human rights organization providing a very important monitoring and advisory role to the government, working in close conjunction with, with municipalities, trying to get food and, um, you know, programs out as soon as possible. Look, there's been a lot of logistic challenges to, to providing food for potentially millions of South Africans, but, uh, you know, people have, have, have come together as a society, and that is a very positive aspect of this whole dilemma, the fact that we have come to realize that our dignity is closely entwined with the dignity of our fellow South Africans that are starving and, and in, in, a, in a very 
desperate predicament at the moment. And, and you know, the Muslim generosity, everybody from all different sectors of society have, have, have begun to acknowledge that we cannot ignore this problem. Even though it was existing prior to the COVID, it's been now brought out into the open and has forced us as, 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 as a society to acknowledge and to do something about it in the, in the spirit of, of, of our common humanity and in the uh, spirit of the brotherhood of our nation as well. And I think that's one very good, uh, good thing that's come out of it. Mm. From a dignity point of view, it, it's made us realize that dignity is a cohesive concept. It's not just linked to uh, an individual de- dignity. We have a collective dignity that we need to now nurture and, 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 and worry about at this particular point in time. Mm. Sadiq, shukran very much for, for coming on air with this thing. I mean, I know that you sit on various uh, civil society bodies, and I know that you're part of that group called um, Muslim Lawyers f- um, for Unity or something like that. Uh, what's the name of it? Yes, Muslim Lawyers for Social Justice. For Social Justice, that's it, yes. Uh, there's so many organizations at this point, you know, uh, on I WhatsApp groups. That maybe it's a, it's a possibility then to put the plight of the, um, of the people living in those informal settlements on those two particular chats and see if, if something can come out of it, you know, where a few lawyers can maybe on a pro bono basis, you know, bring an application like this. And, and even if it is just to bring to the attention of government, you know, the plight of people, you know, living in that informal settlements. Absolutely. I think that's, a, that's an action that one should, uh, we should definitely contemplate. And inshallah, we will look into it. So okay. thank you very much for having me on the show. And once again, assalamu alaikum to all your listeners. Uh, shukran, Enjoy the shukran for your time. Um, yeah, and we hope to hear from you soon again, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour, and uh, we've had thus far we've had Shafiq Morton, we've had uh, Advocate Aslam Bawa, Senior Counsel in Gauteng, we've had Attorney Sadia Ghani from Polokwani, and uh, now we are gonna have uh, we're gonna we're going local now. We've got an attorney, uh, a criminal attorney, criminal law attorney, Marcello Stevens on the line. Are uh, you there, Marcello? Good evening. Good evening, Simon. Yeah, Thank thanks. you for having me on the show. Thanks, Marcello, for agreeing to come on the show this at this hour. Uh, you're no stranger. To, you're no stranger to the legal hour. You've been on here. You've but other times you come into the studio. So uh, yeah, we're hoping we can get through now. With, you know, uh, with the with, with this situation happening. Yeah. So, Marcello, just uh, I know that you are one of the very, very active lawyers out there at the moment, you know, doing uh, bail applications for people being arrested due to, to, to this uh, lockdown. Can you take us through the situation? Because a lot of people are a bit confused that, uh, you know, they're getting arrested. I mean, people, I mean, uh, on the one hand, it says that you can, uh, in the mornings, you can exercise, you must stop at nine o'clock. Then there is a question of shopping. You can go shopping, you can buy clothing, etc. Yet people are still getting arrested during the day. What's happening? 
Why so is look, it? I think it's a, uh, look, Michelle, it's, it's a combination of um, our authorities obviously not filtering down the information appropriately to our people because I, I just said this morning that there's been an updated um, list of what to do and what not to do um, with the list of the, the, the fines that is set by, by the regulations. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, it should start with government that they should quickly obviously find those people who take chances, those who know what, what they can and cannot do, exercising being one of the few, but a very few people actually know that there's a curfew. Um, you can't be, you have to be indoors between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. Um, and, and most of these regulations are, are, are accompanied by a, an additional appeal time. Mm. And I think people in the, within the communities have to take it upon themselves now to educate the members of the, of the citizens and all the communities just for there to be that information sharing here. Mm. But now, if people are still getting arrested, and I mean, some, I've heard this number called of 10,000 people that's been arrested to date. Uh, all over the country, you know, for breaching lockdown regulations. My question, my, and, and I want to get to maybe, uh, just after the, the first part, I, I don't know, something else other than what happens after they get arrested. I mean, people, yeah. we can't say it enough. But what I'm more concerned about is, and I want to jump to it before we even get to the, the part when you get arrested, get to the police station and all that. When people start paying admission of guilt fines, and I know that's becoming very, very common, you get arrested and people think, ah, you know, if I get caught, I'll pay an admission of guilt fine, which is, let's call it a thousand rand. What's the price now for the admission of guilt fine? Well, that's between 500 and 5,000 rand for the various offenses now. What's 5,000 rand? That sounds a bit expensive. Um, if you, I think the one is when you are positive, COVID-19 positive, when you are diagnosed and you are not in self-isolation, then that is 5,000. Okay. But now, but coming to the, to the whole thing of, of, of paying an admission of guilt fine, in other words, a lot of people are under the impression, if I pay this, it's the end of the matter. But I want you to maybe just take us through what happens then. And I, and I spoke about it last week, and I want to speak about it again. I think yeah. I spoke about it last week with Asga Mia, and I want to speak about it with you because yes. people don't realize the consequences of this paying admission of guilt fines. Well, the obvious or the most important consequences of some is that they will have a criminal record. And, and if I can caution the listeners out there, the very first thing you should do in the unlikely event that you are arrested, engage the services of a lawyer. Um, I, I'm not promoting... No, no, but, but, but hold on, Marcello, you, you can't say in the unlikely event, it, in the likely event that they get arrested. I mean... The yeah, yeah, with the numbers we're getting nowadays, yeah. They should, first of all, obviously contact the lawyer. If they cannot afford an attorney, then they should know that they don't need to pay that admission of guilt. And there are options. Um, and unfortunately, our law enforcement officers, whether it's at a roadblock or whether it's at the police station, they don't sufficiently um, advise the people of their rights because they can either pay bail or ask them to release them on warning um, and or, yeah, or, or go to court, have that election to go to court to fight for us in court, let the justice system deal with them. But what most of our people are doing because of being either misinformed or uninformed, because there's two examples. People are given the wrong information. Because what we find, a lot of people are telling the accused, just pay this fine and you can be released. Mm. That is being misinformed. Or they don't tell them anything at all. They just 
um, they shove this piece of paper in front of them, they sign it, they say, and they think they're being released. Um, and unfortunately, our people then suffer the consequences of having a criminal record that's going to stay there for 10 years unless you uh, apply for a to be expunged or for you to have a set aside, which is, which is very costly. Yeah, but now listen, what I'm worried about is even more, you know, especially young people. Young people, they, they go on a little jaunt and... Um, they they get caught, right? And the parents immediately, you know, come out and they pay the the admission of guilt fine. The problem is now that that record will be on your SAP sixty nine. There will be a SAP yeah. sixty nine document with that on. Now, if you apply to go overseas and they ask you the question, do you have a criminal record? Now, you might think, ah, you know, it's a small thing. I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm gonna say I don't. Then that yeah. border person, border personnel person checks up on your SAP 69 and up comes, you know, a conviction or admission of guilt for breaching uh, disaster management and COVID regulations. Now, in yeah. places like Europe and in America, that's a serious problem because that means under a, in, in a national crisis, you were disobedient. Yeah, and yeah. Um, of course, it's going to affect your, your 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 ability to travel. It's going to affect your ability to even get a job in yeah, future. Yeah. Those are the those are the two most important effects that will occur if you if you find a mission of guilt of guilt and you have a record. But unfortunately, like we were discussing or what we heard last week with Oscar Mia was that you're going to have to approach the high court for a special review. Mm-hmm. Um, and and nowadays our courts are I wouldn't say in shambles, but the timetables have changed, and uh, and the, the, the high courts roster has changed. But essentially, the special review procedures you engage those of an attorney, an application will have to be drafted, your affidavit will be deposed to, and then it will be filed with the high court. Um, now we know how our high court has four terms, whether. You submit your application in the beginning or the end of the term, doesn't matter because special reviews are usually at, at the beginning or the end of the term. Mm-hmm. But the other problem our people are going to be sitting with is, is this won't be regarded as urgent. Okay. Uh, you can have great difficulty in arguing whether the stuff application is urgent mm-hmm. uh, because look, you can't travel anywhere now. Very few people are yeah. or employing more people, but at the end of the day, our people must know that they have that option. Um, so it can be removed if you can either show that you are uninformed or misinformed, and that will be easy to look at from the document. But, no, but, okay, no, no, to, but maybe you need to explain this to me. I, I get the part, you know, that you were misinformed, that if you sign this thing, you get out of your... But yeah. how do you get uh, away from the fact that you were breaching the regulations? Because surely that must be one of the elements that you... You did not breach it, and um, then on that basis, you could potentially get an overturning of that particular order. But if you if you admitted that you breached it, and all the facts are there that you have in fact breached it, how do you get past that? Well, that's one of the elements of of the special review that you must have a special defence. Um, but I think the most important, and you look at the case law, there's, there's been a few good judgments in, in the Western Cape High Court. Um, the most or the overriding factor because we live in a constitutional democracy is the fact that you were not warned of your constitutional rights. Okay. And that being one of it being 
you will not explain the effects of paying this, because um, that goes directly to the fairness of the trial procedure, which includes paying an additional fee. So, so, so um, there's a possibility then, I mean, from, just from what you're saying, that the court may not look at the substantive nature of the situation. They may just look at the procedural aspect of it. And, and, yes, and actually yes. not look at the, at, the, at the fact that you were not supposed to be out at all. They will just look at the procedural issue. Whether you they will look at that, yes. Yeah, especially the fact that your rights were infringed. And look, most of these cases are, are, are regarded by courts as petty offenses. In the past, our precedents used to deal with theft of uh, piece of cheese or bologna or, or, or office of Dachai in the past. Mm. Um, so by its very nature, admission of guilt offenses are regarded as petty. Mm. So our courts are more concerned about the effect it has on our, on our citizens, not getting jobs, not being able to travel, but more so the fact that our citizens were not properly advised of their rights. And, and that's the overriding factor, in my opinion, mm. what the high courts will take into account when they set um, these um, admission of guilt aside. Yeah, because my big concern currently is, is the youth, you know, the that young people yeah. are throwing their lives away, basically, uh, by by going on a little joint now and, uh, you know, like a quick uh, joyride and in on, onto a roadblock. And then, of course, yeah. uh, they get uh, they get charged and uh, they get taken to the police station. Of course, their parents are extremely worried. They go and they go pay that admission of guilt fine because no one wants to go sit in that cells. And um, yeah. then, of course, for the next 10 years, your SAP 69 uh, document will reflect that you have committed a COVID crime. And that will yeah. prevent you from traveling. It will prevent you possibly from getting a job. And you won't get security clearance if you need security clearance. So that's problematic. And I mean, I think pa parents need to understand that before they give the keys of the car to their son to quickly go somewhere. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. And are you confirming yeah. that you agree with that or what do you think? Look, I do agree with you to a great extent, but we have to obviously face the sad reality that things will go wrong. Um, especially our youngsters, they are frustrated, they cannot smoke, <laughs> they cannot They're not supposed to smoke to start off with. Not to say most of our youngsters yeah. are frustrated because this lockdown has caused a lot of psychological stresses on, on, on everybody, especially the youngsters. Mm. So I think what our parents should take note of is the fact that they must know that they don't need to pay the admission of guilt. Mm -hmm. Secondly, they can go to court and the, the, the court system, and I'm not putting such down or any law enforcement agency in our country down, but our courts are way more sympathetic to undefended accused, young accused. They will, any prosecutor will look at a youngster who uh, allegedly contributed the COVID-19 regulations and say, no, let us postpone this thing for diversion. Okay, now when I get to that, yeah, the, the, there's an option of diversion, which takes them outside of yeah. the criminal system. So, and, yeah. and then they yeah. won't have a record. And I, I think you, you hit the ammo on the nail now, Mochala, with regard to that diversion uh, suggestion. I think that's possibly the best route to follow. Yes, if you don't pay that mission of guilt, because remember people go cancel plead guilty at court. Yeah. The court find it boils down to the same thing, so they must just follow the process through, work without the lawyer. Um, 
And being form of their rights in terms of how they can be diverted onto the system, whether you're young or old, even old people can be diverted, especially with petty offenses, because our courts actually don't, are, are not conviction hungry. Mm. Our prosecutors are sympathetic out there and they will, out of their own, suggest um, diversion in order for Marcello, them to I can hear that you were a prosecutor at some point in your life. Yeah, as you are well aware. <laughs> yeah, but, but those are the sketches they take because look at obviously clogs the court roll also to keep you know, petty stuff on the court roll. So they will divert those cases if, if they don't unnecessarily pay the admission of court funds. Marcello, you're probably one of the most qualified people because you've sat on both sides, the prosecutor side and as a defense attorney. So thank you very much for giving us that little insight into, you know, what's happening out there in light of the, the whole lockdown and COVID uh, pandemic. So thank you very much for, 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 for giving us your time this time of, of the evening. And uh, yeah, thanks very much. So we hope to see you soon again. Thanks. Bye-bye. Have a good evening. Thank you too. Bye-bye. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. Final uh, attorney that is going to join us tonight. Uh, we've got uh, we've already had uh, Shafiq Morton as an as an author and social commentator. We had uh, advocate Aslam Bava. We had attorney Sadia Ghani. We had attorney Marcello Stevens. And now the last attorney that we're having for this evening is none other than attorney Nazir Park. Assalamualaikum, Nazir. Wa alaikum salam, Isan, and to the listeners of the Voice of the Cape. Yeah, Nazir, sorry to you no so late, pla. But I know you've had a very long day because I tried yeah. all day to get hold of you, but you were in court, and uh, yeah, which court were you in today? In uh, commercial crimes court in Shani Balbo. Okay, so they're operating full swing. They are operating. Unfortunately, last week they had an incident of COVID-19, so uh, they unfortunately had to close the offices in the building for a period of five days for decontamination. But as of yesterday, I believe they were up and running again. Okay, no, great. And you are in there in trials today there? No, no, we were busy with a bail application. Okay, uh, that almost sounds like cigarettes. <laughs> well, mm. close enough, close okay. enough. Yeah, okay, but now listen, coming to, to the cigarettes, what is the update currently on the cigarettes uh, issues? Well, Ishan, we spoke last week about the application that was being placed on the roll for hearing this morning by the uh, one tobacco manufacturer. And uh, I understand from uh, the updates I've seen that the matter didn't proceed in court today because the government had complied with a certain portion of the application, which was... Uh, one, for them to be permitted to manufacture tobacco products again, and secondly, to to receive minutes of the meetings of the National Coronavirus Command Council mm. that uh, made the decision on the ban, or continuing the ban on cigarettes uh, under Level 4. And initially, I think there was some resistance from the government in regard to the minutes being disclosed, but I believe they've come to some sort of an agreement internally Mm. Or the minutes to be released. But surely, uh, but surely um, in terms of a, is a PAYA application, a PAYA application? Yes, uh, uh, it's a PAYA, PAYA route, the yes. promotion of access to information. I yeah. believe that they would have probably gone that route in the event that the government wasn't forthcoming. But uh, like I said, they 
they've managed to strike some sort of a middle ground with each other there. Um, but I do believe that the most important part that a lot of people want to know about is when the actual hearing for the lifting of the ban under Level 4 will be heard. Um, from what I've read and, and, and followed and updated myself about, it seems like the initial date was supposed to be the 26th of May for that hearing, but I understand that there's been a postponement uh, indefinitely for the parties to agree to a timeline for the hearing of that particular application. That's now in the event that lockdown f continues under level four uh, for the next foreseeable month or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's postponed, as I would say, in eight years without a date. Correct, correct. I think the parties will approach the court for a new date once they filed all the necessary paperwork and so on and so forth. But the manufacturer is now able to produce um, uh, tobacco products and also export it. Uh, Nazir, that, doesn't, not, that doesn't sound too good. I mean, normally in a, in a situation like that, from what I understand, is that when a, a matter like this is before court, the judge will basically in, uh, instruct those attorneys to go work out a timetable. And Correct. And in this case, of course, they didn't do the timetable and they were just told, uh, you know, come approach the court again. That that doesn't sound good. Almost like, is this? does it seem like this thing is going absolutely nowhere? Sean, as I understand, that the, 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 this matter is running in the Pretoria High Court and that particular division, uh, mm -hmm. out of all the divisions that we have in South Africa, I understand is running quite efficiently under the lockdown. So if if the parties do come to an agreement between them, I believe that they might obtain a date quite quickly for the hearing of the matter in the event that it should still proceed. Because as we know, British American Tobacco initially threatened the court proceedings, had uh, had pulled away from it. And I believe they were riding, in my mind at least, they were riding the, the outcome of the current application of the other tobacco manufacturer. And... I think that uh, a lot of people uh, are, are waiting in anxious, uh, anxiously waiting for the outcome of this uh, particular hearing to see what is going to come about. I do understand that there was an affidavit filed uh, on the part of the minister, uh, Lamini Zuma. I just don't know the content of it. I haven't actually seen the physical affidavit itself. Mm. And, uh, and then the other thing is I wanted to check with you was the the has there been any indication through all these court proceedings that uh, the president will be addressing the issue at any point? Ishan, not from what I've seen, uh, albeit that the president has been cited as a respondent, mm -hmm. so he, he might have to uh, file an affidavit in terms of uh, addressing some of the the content of the affidavit of the, of the manufacturer. Maybe that, that actually directly impacts him. I know that uh, from my reading of the affidavit, uh, of, the, of the tobacco manufacturer's affidavit, mm -hmm. uh, they took the president on in terms of the fact that he made the statement of, of publicizing that uh, Level 4 will allow for this purchasing of cigarettes, and then it was changed in a week later by the minister. But so we, I think that particular aspect mm -hmm. he will have to address. I don't actually understand why people are going on about that. I mean, it was explained. I mean, uh, we've, we speculated on it last week, and then, of course, it, it happened exactly that way when, when it was explained by government um, that if the president says uh, he says something and... Uh, he needs to go back to the command council, and of course the command council, uh, that's where they debate the issue. 
I agree, I agree. But actually, if you if you read if you if you have a, a reading of that of the application of the tobacco manufacturer, one of the points they make is they saying that uh, the minister of Adlamini Zuma had acted what we call ultra vires outside the scope of her power. By by unilaterally overturning the decision of the president, so that yeah, will be an interesting argument. Yeah, but that but, but I, uh, I can't see how a minister can make a unilateral uh, decision. Um, I mean, obviously, she was acting under the instructions of the command council. I mean, I correct, and yeah. and the president is part of the command council. That is, I think, why they insisted on the minutes of that particular meeting to see whether or not there would be merit in such an argument uh, going forward. I mean, we'll have absolutely chaos if uh, if a command council uh, says one thing and then a minister decides on on on, on his or her own that you know this is what we're going to do. I mean, yeah. then it'll be chaos. I mean, it doesn't even sound like, you know, that, that that could have been real. So people making that type of uh, statements or assessments of the situation, I mean, they really need to go back to the drawing board and, you know, and, and see how our procedures work, you know, because mm. I can't see how the that could have just been a, a decision that was made uh, right there on the spot. Mm. And no, uh, look, I, I, I think... From my side, Ifshan, uh, what I would want to see mm-hmm. is the medical evidence supporting the fact that the tobacco product has an adverse impact on a on on the immune system. If that is proven, mm-hmm. then there's definite for me definite merit in the government saying level four no no tobacco sales, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's going, it's going to turn on, on on that particular issue to my mind. Yeah, well, that's if, if, if that if that case is even going to see the light of day. Yeah. Uh, because it's a bit disappointing that, uh, but maybe the, the 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 Pretoria High Court has a different way of doing things uh, as opposed to the Western Cape High Court. Uh, I I from what I've seen, I I think the urgent roles are are fairly open. Uh, I know that with the with the Pretoria High Court and many other divisions, I think the Western Cape is adopting it as well now under the new regulations. Uh, there needs to be a certificate of urgency attached to any urgent application where uh, the the extent of the urgency needs to be confirmed by the by the by the advocate or the or the attorney dealing with the matter. Mm. So I think that will that will be an accompanying document when the matter does go forward. But uh, I will definitely keep my eyes uh, peeled on the on the developments around this matter. Uh, thanks for that, Nazir. Nazir, there's a few questions that came through. Now maybe we can discuss it because I must be honest. I'm looking at it and I and I can't think of the absolute answer. But maybe we can discuss it and we can come to some form of uh, resolution on it. It says here. What happens if you want to go see your parents is okay, but they stay in Mitchell's Plain and, and this person stays in Somerset West. So, of course, they're going to have to traverse uh, Baden-Powell coming from Somerset West. And, of course, if there's a roadblock there, then uh, they would potentially, you know, be arrested. But now the question is, if they want to check on the parents and the parents elderly, surely... They could. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think under what regulation that would fall. Ishan, as I understand the the level four uh, restrictions, mm-hmm. the the uh, the visits of family and friends is not is not uh, permissible. It's prohibited under the regulations. But as you say, if the if the parents are elderly and require regular or, checkups, or then, medic, then perhaps it's warranted. Yeah, but then maybe she must apply to a permit at the Somerset West uh, Court. 
and go see a magistrate there and, uh, and, and, and try to obtain a permit and uh, with a confirmation or whatever, some form of proof that the, the parents are elderly and that they can't see to themselves or they don't have food or whatever it is or they need medicine. And then, but they, I wouldn't advise that person to take a drive, you know, and hoping she's not going to get stopped. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Mm. I agree with that. So that is that one. And then there's another one. Um, it says here, uh, this person wants to know if she can go, uh, must she go to a mall in the area? Um, wanted to know what happens if one goes to a mall outside of your area. Um, I would, you want to take a shot at it? Uh, Ikshan, as I as I uh, interpret the the current uh, state of affairs, the the movement, uh, the promotion of movement is is within confines. So, in the event that the individual needs to go to a mall specifically, then that in the, that listener would be encouraged to go to the nearest mall in her area. Uh, albeit, I've seen many a persons go to that particular mall, and you'll find that mall queues are. Uh, extremely long and then people go to an alternative mall and you can't really blame them to sit there for the whole entire day. Uh, so uh, within the fine letter of the law they would be confined to the, the magisterial district. Area. No, no, I think the the, 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 the the regulations make mention of some form of magisterial district. Correct. That, yeah, so uh, it's, it's like that all five kilometer radius for exercise. And that's of that's course, that's you're going to have to have a very good reason why you're outside of your magisterial district. So let's say you you live in Athlone and you decide you want to go to the waterfront to go to uh-huh. that shop. Uh-huh. And they pull you off on the, on the M5. I mean, I think you're going to have to have a very good reason. Uh, and of course, you, you run the serious risk of being uh, fined for, for not being uh, in, within your magisterial district. Correct. So and the fines are being imposed are quite heavy. I, mean, I heard Marcello just speaking of a few of them now. Yeah, well, it, it's well, uh, people can't afford that. Uh, number one, and uh, secondly, look, I think uh, people must just uh, act responsibly, and uh, this lockdown can't last forever. And um, but of course, whilst it is there, I mean, one has to respect the law. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So Nazir. Uh, we're going to go for a quick ad break. In fact, um, we got, uh, I think we, we got two minutes left. And the watch you for me is forget, but when I looked on my phone, it, it's, uh, it, it's actually, our time has expired. So shukran very much, Nazir, uh, for always uh, you know, uh, assisting us, you know, with some of these difficult concepts. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you soon, inshallah. The Legal Hour with Ihsan Higgins. And we are back uh, for the final two minutes, so it will just give me an opportunity to to, to, to greet and basically say to people that, um, yeah, I guess law is just a temporary fix for chaos. It is not the cure. And the only cure for chaos is individual responsibility. And uh, I think we, we all need to be responsible within the confines 
of this period because um you know without being responsible you know we're going to end up with the with the consequences you know and of course then you're going to need lawyers and it's always a terrible situation to need a lawyer um, it's always nice to greet a lawyer, but don't even need a lawyer because lawyers charge money. And, um, yeah, that's something that you don't really want to, to deal with. So I hope that, you know, that everybody, you know, will be safe uh, from and Alamas take away the fear, the anxiety and the feelings of isolation, you know, from people, you know, during this period. Um, the Almighty must give us a sense of purpose, you know, in pursuing our health and also protecting others to give freely to others that's all that are in need so yeah from my side i want to say um shukran for granting us this opportunity to to give some advice to the public out there when i say to the voice of the cape and its management um and also for those people i know there's a lot of questions that came through and uh, of course we couldn't answer all the questions you're welcome to contact me on the Legal Cafe line on 082336378, 082336378, and I can I will see if I can assist in that regard. And uh, yeah, so from my side, I want to say shukran and assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.